me feel like I'm a part of something bigger. My favorite business show. Hands down, the best B2B sales and marketing podcast. The ultimate resource for salespeople. George makes me want to conquer local. An authentic entertainer. Conquer Local with Vendasta. Here's George Leaf. Coming up on this edition of the Conquer Local podcast, I know you're going to love it. We have a guest who I met a few months back and, and immediately I was thinking, how do we get Lindsay Gaskins on the Conquer Local podcast? She started a chain of retail businesses in 2008 at the middle of the downturn. And we are going to learn about how she built that up to 45 locations all over the U.S. And now she's the head of innovation for one of the largest privately held companies in the world. Lindsay Gaskin, coming up next on the Conquer Local Podcast. It's another edition of the Conquer Local Podcast. You know, we, we love local um, and we love local businesses. And when we were thinking about guests for, you know, the summer editions of the Conquer Local Podcast, I was like, we've got to get Lindsay Gaskins on the show. And Lindsay and I met a few months back uh, through business. And uh, Lindsay, thanks for joining us on the podcast. I'm going to get you to speak a little bit about your background because at one point in time, you ran a retail business chain with 40 locations across the U.S. I did. Thanks, George. Well, glad to be here. Um, yeah, so I know what it's like to run uh, brick-and-mortar retail. We had an e-commerce business as well. Um, I, in 2008, great time to start a brick-and-mortar retailer. Um, I had the bright idea of taking this whole kind of concept around brain fitness or the idea that your brain can grow as you age if you exercise it um, and turn it into a retail concept. So my first try was a kiosk in a large mall in Illinois at the Woodfield Mall. And we had 50 products. I had a kiosk. Um, we sold about nothing over a three month period of time and I almost uh, packed up and went back to my day job. Um, but we, we, we had an idea that we were going to change it into a brick and mortar store and we were going to start in downtown Chicago. And we opened up that store in October of 2008. And in the first day we did more business than we'd done all summer. Um, and the concept was refined. The concept was much better. Um, and we proceeded to raise capital in a very tough uh, market. Um, and open, it was 45 stores um, in about seven years. Um, and it was it was a really fun journey, but I, I know what it's like to compete in this environment. Um, we were a toy and gameplay uh, competing with Amazon uh, for share of wallet uh, for kind of discretionary purchases. Um, and we had to be very original and um, innovative in how our approach. And um, we were always trying something new. So it was a really uh, fun uh, company to build. It was called Marvel's The Brain Store. Um, and we never got to all across the country in the U.S., but we uh, got coast to coast. We never got to the South. Well, the, you know, what an, what an interesting story. And I remember when you first told me that story, it, you know, it really struck me that I, I think it's important for entrepreneurs to understand that 
you know, all of us that have ever started a business and been entrepreneurs have had that moment where we're like, I am throwing in the towel. What did I do? I'm, you know, it, it's a normal thing. And I think now we're, we're faced with something, you know, really interesting. You, you started this in 2008 because that was a, that was a slug. Like 2008 was a rough, rough time. Maybe this will be similar or it won't be. We just don't know what's going to happen post COVID here, but it's interesting that you know you were able to still make this thing work, but refinement was necessary, and and you had to pivot and and kind of change the model and and right. w- you know what what was that like? Like it, right. I, I'm hoping that you know you can really give us an, a glimpse into. It probably wasn't the first try. I'm I'm anticipating it, there had to be multiple yeah. attempts at a pivot. Yeah, I mean we. I mean, what was so fun about it was that you'd wake up every morning and I still did this when the for the eight years I was running the business with an idea. And because we were such a fantastic team of, of go-getters, we would try it. And what that's what I love about retail is you try it, you get feedback for the consumer, and then you try something else. Um, you have to start getting things right at some point so that you get some sales. But the uh, retail environment and now in, in digital as well, you can put something up, get feedback pretty quickly and adjust your strategy. Um, you know, I have made 10,000 mistakes and made like 10 good decisions <laughs> along the road. Um, but I think the, the thing that, was, uh, that helped us is that we were willing to learn from the mistakes and transform what we were doing and try new things. Um, the reason we were able to get investment, the reason we were able to continue to grow is that like as the world was changing and as the consumer was reacting, we were then reacting in, in concert with them. Um, first, we were brick and mortar. We then we always had an e-commerce presence. Um, we then went into producing our own product uh, to improve our margins and to increase our differentiation on the marketplace. We refined our sales process 10, 15 times about how we were going to talk to the customer. Um, did a lot of market research with our own employees and our own customers um, to learn why they were coming to our store so we could refine our marketing message. Um, so it was a constant uh, transformation. What I think is so fascinating right now in um, this pandemic and this challenge is like you see some of these retailers and small business owners being so transformational um, where they, I, we service a bunch of bike dealers and they hated e-commerce. They hated like the idea of having to sell a bike online. And now they're delivering bikes to people's homes <laughs> from a purchase that was done through a different channel and they're seeing their sales grow. Um, those transformations are really hard um, to be able to do that is an operational challenge, but it's kind of the life or death of their business is if they're able to transform. And I, I'm just fascinated by those that are making not just plans, they're actually transforming how they go to market. And typically uh, some, you know, you would think, I, I would think that there are challenges in kind of a mindset. I've been running this business for 20 or 30 years, but this crisis has, I think, caused people to think differently and they've had to act and transform how they go to market. And I think they'll be the, they'll be the ones that do the most here are going to be the ones that will be the most successful um, 
as we grow again. Well, we, you know, we're excited to get you on the podcast to get your knowledge around retail business and congratulations on the 10,000 mistakes leading to the 10 right decisions. I, I think that's a great, it's how it works. You gotta, you gotta fail fast. You gotta not be afraid to try. So great. Thank you for giving that to our listeners. Number two, let's talk about where you are today. And that is the head of innovation for CCA Global. And I remember when we first met, I was like, oh, I've got to Google this company. And, and then I'm like, oh, this is a big organization. Let's talk about the CCA Global and the cooperative movement. And you talked about the bike, um, the bike cooperative, which you are the president of. Can we get a, a glimpse into CCA and then a, a dig a little deeper into the bike cooperative as an example? Sure. Yeah. So um, about 35 years ago now, uh, the founders of CCA Global were two um owners of their own flooring retail businesses in different parts of the country, one in uh, Manchester, New Hampshire, and one in St. Louis, Missouri. And they were uh, kind of legends in that industry. They had grown their business. They were um, very successful in the floor covering space. Um, But they saw Home Depot and Lowe's coming, and they were coming fast and furious, had a ton of capital, and they got together, they became really good friends during their their growth and their businesses. And they said, we got to do something. And they brought their other close friends in the industry together. And they took, they got a meeting with the president of True Value at the time um, to learn about cooperatives. Cause someone said, maybe you should make a cooperative. I don't remember the full story, but they end up having this one day meeting and they walk out of it and said, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build a cooperative. And very quickly over a period of, I think it was one to three years, they went from 12 people to 50 to 200 to 300 um, retailers at, we have 3000 retailers that are part of CCA Global um, in terms of members of cooperatives of different types of cooperatives. So they started floor covering. We have a lighting cooperative, lighting store cooperative. We have a construction company cooperative. We have the bike cooperative, we have a child care shared service uh, group, and we have a property management um, cooperative. And the idea of a cooperative is really unique. And why I was drawn to it is I had, you know, started my own retail company, taking investors and trying to grow it um, and, and, and scale it. What's so neat about a cooperative is you actually get all your investment from your members. And the members are the ones who stand up the business to support their own best interests. So our members own us. We're not venture backed. We're not um, backed by any investor. Um, anyone who works at CCA today is not an owner of the company. There's no um, you know, ownership by the employees. It's actually the members that started the cooperative own us. So every year there's a shareholder meeting and they get to decide, you know, make some big decisions on where they want to go with a company. So it's a very fascinating concept. You'll see it in, you're here about it in farming um, and in, you know, electric and credit unions are cooperatives. There's a lot of different models, but the retail one was really fascinating to me, especially since I had spent eight years competing with Amazon. I was intrigued in how we could bring retailers together to uh, to compete. And with local, there's so many retailers, but we don't all act as one. 
Um, so how do you get independent small business owners or local business and owners to not see everybody that's doing their business as competition? How do we get us all to cooperate? So I was intrigued by the business model. I joined them almost three years ago to uh, kind of drive the innovation of the company and see where, how we could service our members with more cool stuff to help them be successful and really, as you say, protect local. Um, but I also um, joined them because I like saw this as like, wow, it's such a unique way to build a sustainable business because our members are part of us and they, they want us to be successful because we're supporting them. Well, it, it is a very intriguing business model. I've always been intrigued by co-ops coming from rural Saskatchewan. We, you know, there were co-ops everywhere because that's the way that, that this land was, uh, you know, was broken and, and, uh, you know, homesteaded over the last hundred years or so was with a, you know, grain cooperative and, uh, you know, fuel cooperative and so it's part of it's part of the culture and we see that across north america now interesting wikipedia told me that cca global was one of the largest privately held companies in the united states like it is a massive organization right yeah additionally too and i think why our partnership is so unique and interesting um is you know, we 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 have three thousand members plus three thousand members that are members of the co-op that we that are part of our groups. But additionally, we service all these other co-ops and um, buying groups and dealer networks. So part of what we do is service those that are our membership, and then we service other types of membership groups. So our our expansive impact is across over a million small business owners. And that's where, um, like, if you want to do something at scale, like CCA has that access. And so we're really fortunate to have that access. And that's why we're working with Vendasta to, to kind of come up with solutions. So I really like it when I have a business mind like yours on the podcast. And I can ask this question because our audience are salespeople and, uh, you know, they're out helping customers and they're looking for better ways to serve those clients. And um, I love having someone that was on the other side of the desk um, because I'm sure over those years when you were running your retail business, um, you met a lot of salespeople. And I'd love to get maybe like a top 10 Lindsay don'ts <laughs> or maybe <laughs> a, a top five do's or something like that because I'm sure you met lots of reps and there were some that yeah. you ended up doing business with and moving forward, and there were others that you didn't. Could could we talk about some that you did move forward with? And what were the key things you were looking for in those relationships? Yeah, um, I think that I piece for me, and maybe I'm not typical, but I I really love the discovery myself about the um, operation of the or the support service. So how can you get that in front of me? Um, and there's many more novel ways than there every single day about how to do that. So the retargeting, the like case study, the white paper that's relevant to what I'm working on, um, all of that kind of content that is helpful, um, benchmarking in, in information about my industry, whatever, that is like candy to me because I definitely want to know what's happening. So like whenever a salesperson can provide a little bit of valuable information to me, that would either be a good news article 
or something that might be relevant, that would open up a conversation for me because I like that type of information. Um, I think a lot of, you know, referrals are always great. (laughs) Um, Like someone knew them, someone else also got the email at the same time and was interested. So kind of, I know mass blasts aren't really loved by everybody, but they're effective because you, if you hit three or four people in the organization and one person picks it up, they might forward it to me and say, Hey, I saw this idea. What do you think about AI for this? Or what do you think about that? So I think there's, there's targeted like content to the CEO, but there's also this like getting throughout the organization, good ideas that other people can bring to the table because I'm not making the decisions on everything on very few things. Am I making the decisions? Like what is, you know, my head of marketing bringing to the table? And it might be that you got in touch with them first and then it got introduced to me. Well, and very interesting that you bring that up, that there's always influencers that are, you know, it's not just one person. There's an organization there and you've got to get to the influencers. What what about the train wrecks? I'm sure that, you know, there's there has to have been a few where you're just like, what was that person thinking? Yeah, I mean, I think that in this world, and this, again, maybe personal opinion, like the million phone calls just, you know, stop. Like, no one's wanting to have to delete another voicemail. So it's my, if you're going to be like trying a bunch of times on the touch points, don't do it through voicemail um, because that's just a pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I, I saw some interesting stuff last year that I hadn't seen when I was the CEO of, of, of Marbles. I saw like the video with the notes that like that it said, hi, Lindsay, and then started talking to me. I opened that up because it was so novel I think that's now probably going to become a little overplayed because I'm starting to see more and more and more of that. But the novelty of the approach, if it like feels personalized, is really intriguing. Um, but I, you know, I think that there's been, I think when there's no substance and it's like too big of an organization and they're not personalized to me and they're just like, I'm from Oracle, we should talk. What should we talk about? I have no idea what you offer. Like, you're not talking about my bike business. You're not talking about anything in particular, like doing a little bit of research about who I am and what my business is about before that email is sent out. Um, it makes a huge difference. And I'm just going to delete anything. That's just like, I'm Oracle. We should talk. No, I I love it. Like, listen, you, you hit the nail on the head. Thank you so much. It's You've got to bring some value and at least do a little bit of research that I might be interested in your thing at all. Like that there's yeah. even a fit because we're, we're getting inundated with information. I, the, the next question is, did you have someone that, that you, you know, you maybe put them through the paces? Like my thing is I just say no five times and see if they phone back. Like, and, and not just the phone calls. Like I want to see if you're really in this. And you're going to put the effort in. And because a lot of people, um, you know, say that they're going to do a bunch of stuff and, and then you don't see that follow up and, and stay on top of it. Did you experience that a lot? I, I, that is another pet peeve for me. I'm with, I'm, I agree with you. When you, let's say you even get to an in-person meeting that I like allow for an in-person meeting or a phone call and you're not you do not reply or come back with like, these are the notes of what we talked about. 
Like, I just am like, you're not on top of your business. Like, like in any conversation where we actually have a conversation, the follow-up should be like within the next 20 minutes to an hour. This is what we just talked about. And here's the next step. And I'll follow up with you next week. Like that is professional. And that makes me want to have a meeting with you. If it's just like, they're like barely able to even respond with understanding what our conversation was about, or just saying like, I'll contact you later, like that type of stuff. I I just will wait and do nothing. But if you're proactive in your approach, if I open the door a little bit, then I will, you know, that, that gets the conversation continued for me. No. And thank you for that. It's, it's a matter of, are you prepared to earn the business and, and then are you prepared to keep working? after you've earned, yeah. earned that business. So you have all these businesses that count on you for, for leadership and guidance. What would be some tips that you would give a, a retail business owner as we move to going back to business? So I, I think that various jurisdictions will start going back to business in the next 60 to 90 days, maybe 30 if you're lucky. Um, what, what would you recommend uh, as things that they should look at doing? Yeah, yeah good question. Um, Stay healthy, <laughs> first thing. Um, I think this is a stressful and kind of impossible situation to be put in for any leader who has employees, who has customers they're worried about. So, um, you know, hats off to them, and especially in the retail environment. I was talking to a CEO of a 30 person. Uh, garden center chain last week. And I was just thinking about the stress that he was under with the 200 plus employees and worrying about someone getting sick or if they should keep the doors open or do curbside pickup. So like just the stress in this situation is insane. So I, I feel for you, figure out how to get some help, all those things. So that that's the first part of it, stress and health can't imagine what everyone's going through on a kind of business um, side. I think I, I might've said this already, but I, I really think this is a time to jump on opportunity that is different than your plan from six, three months ago. The consumer is going to change so much during this, this, this crisis is impacting us all differently. Um, but the the thing that's consistent is it's impacting us and there is no back to normal there is back to the future or we're going to go to the future in this right. in a very fast pace and you have to realize your business and and this is their back their backs are in the corner so they're that's why they're doing their best work i think that you you have to come up with a way to meet the customer in a different way so curbside pickup, delivery, fulfillment of other web marketing channels, uh, figuring out that you are going to shorten your menu down to just pizza, but you're also going to include toilet paper, whatever crazy things that you might have to do to react to the consumer who is freaking out as well, but is looking for solutions. And the biggest concern I have right now is I like, and, and I'm, I'm against Amazon. So that's my, my if, get political here that more people are going to just go to the easiest solution, which is Amazon. It's fast, it's convenient and it's low price in their view. 
And we have to figure out how to play their game locally. Whether you're in restaurant or retail or whatever you want, they have they have figured out convenience and they have figured it out fast, but local can be better than that because we actually live in the communities. We actually can be more convenient and more and faster. We just haven't transformed our business to do that because we've been doing enough business during before this crisis that we're like, well, I don't want to disrupt. I don't want to change everything. Our consumers like it this way. Um, so I, I mean, I, who am I to predict, but I am, um, I, I am challenging and admiring those that are taking swift action to transform and um, become even, you know, better than they've ever been. Well, and that, you know, the curbside pickup thing is a real interesting thing. Um, is it something you should have been offering? Probably, but things were going quite nicely. <laughs> And I didn't have to have the nice sign and I didn't have to have the person that went out to deliver. Like it it was a change. And, but yet I'm still hitting my numbers and things are going well and we're still adding right. new businesses and we didn't have, now we have this catalyst of have to. And I think what some businesses are finding is their customer base actually wanted that service layer and they, and they right. didn't have a reason to give it to them. So, you know, when we look at, when we look at heading back to business, maybe there is a lesson in there that we should always be looking for a new delivery mechanism or, you know, I'm using that just as an example, but we, we could look yeah. across the entire organization and, and really take a good look at what makes you different than the competitor. This was all around competing in a market where you were able to offer something others didn't, but now right. it's this survival. So now it's important because it's, right. but it was it, always it, it, survival. Really and I think it, because we're in such disruption that things held us all back. Like you already had, you had a lot of money in your brick and mortar rent. You like the, the size of your store made it so you were buying this much inventory. So that you then had to make these decisions because you had this overhead. Um, and this is, controversial and I, and I'm not, and I don't, I wouldn't, I'm not suggesting this, but many businesses are realizing they can do the same amount of business with third of the employees. And I'm not, I am looking for people to have work. So <laughs> that's not, not my recommendation, but what kind of productivity are you getting out of your team and how can you come up with other strategies to make your business more productive as we come out of this? So I think there's just a lot to look at um, and and determine, you know, restaurants is really interesting. You have like the wait staff, you've got the hostess, you've got the bartender, you've got everything happening. And now we may not be able to be sitting six feet from a, someone in a restaurant. What are you gonna do? <laughs> How is that going to transform? Right. You can't, you don't want your host. You know, it's just, it's a total new game. And I don't have the answer. I'm not a student of restaurants, but I, I just imagine that transformation is going to be huge. Yeah. And you know, it, it's every category is going through this right down to, I, I've got to get my teeth cleaned. It was put on hold because of COVID. And now I'm going to go to yep. the dentist next week because dentists are going to open, but I'm not sitting next to somebody. We're going to be six right. feet apart. We're going to Purell everything before we even sit down in the chair. Like it's going to be crazy. Um, 
but but that's part of the new norm. And then how do you make that patient feel comfortable in that environment so that they have a great experience? And and because the experience is changing, so it it really is going to be an interesting time. And you know what I'm looking for, Lindsay, from you is advice to those business owners. We go back to you know that very amazing quote that you had. You know, you made ten thousand mistakes to find the ten right things to do. Do do you feel now you have to make 50,000 mistakes? Is it, you know, you're going to have to even try more or, or, you know, where, where does it stand now? Yeah. I mean, I think you have to try different things. I mean, I think that's what I would encourage people to do. I think there's certain things that like I can't speak to that, you know, CDC requirements, like health, all that stuff. I'm not the expert on that. So I'm not going to speak to that, but I, I think that this is the time to really go into your brain, into your team's brain of like, how can we react to this differently than how we we are right now? How can we not just survive, but thrive? And how can we try 10 new things this week that we didn't think would work? And without, you know, as I said, overwhelming the system, because of the stress. So it is maybe that you can't try everything this week and it feels like you need to, but can you try one new thing each week (laughs) that makes you a little nervous? But this is when you have, especially with some of these government loans coming out and, and some, you have a little, may have a little cover to make some changes (laughs) that then when you come out, you're much better. Um, so I would just challenge everybody to, you know, take advantage of their innovative ideas and the changing consumer landscape to realize, and also realize that we're not going back to where we were. Yes, the country will open up again, but that doesn't mean, as you said, we're going to go back to the dentist office and, and not, uh, worry about being close to someone or that they're not wearing gloves, you know, when they say hello or whatever it might be. Um, it's just, it's going to change. Um, and, and that's unfortunate, but it, it, it gives opportunity for innovation. Well, and I think the perfect person to speak about innovation is the head of innovation of a organization that deals with over a million local businesses. And Lindsay, I've always appreciate your passion for local business. And, and I thought that it was very fitting to have you on this episode when so much attention is being paid to something that we paid so little attention to. It was just part of our daily fabric. But now we are faced with, oh, that, that business is gone. And that is, and I'm kind of like, am I on the Avengers? And Thanos snapped his fingers. Like, what the hell happened? It it really right. changed. It's going to change. And the the businesses that will be here at the end of this will be the ones right. that are prepared to make ten thousand mistakes to find the ten things that work correctly. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. And thanks for that great quote. I'm going to use that a million times now and probably steal it as No, I'll continue to give you credit for it. Lindsay Gaskins, uh, thanks for joining us. I appreciate your time and, and some great lessons in there on retail, local business, being innovative. We really appreciate it. Thanks, George. Lots of fun. Stay healthy. Well, in that episode, there are a number of lessons. Number one, for entrepreneurs, you will fall way more times than you will stand up. And it's the getting back up 
and it's the trying and it's the failing quick and all of those lessons. Like it just, it boggles my mind when I hear stories about people who started companies in the middle of an economic downturn and built them into amazing organizations. So the, the lessons that Lindsay has from those 45 retail locations around scale and super serving customers and thinking outside the box, you heard all of those little nuggets from her insights. And then to be now deployed at one of the largest privately held companies in the US and to be dealing in the very intriguing world of co-ops in all sorts of different verticals, you know, carpet stores, bike cooperatives, um, arborists, um, and even, you know, HOAs. Like it just, it's, it's incredible to me how that industry is touching local businesses. And we need CCA Globals now more than ever. And we need the companies that they support because of COVID-19 and what it's meaning to local businesses. So thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast. And thank you to our guest, Lindsay Gaskins, for all of her great insights in this edition of the Conquer Local podcast. We welcome your feedback at the Conquer Local community and on our LinkedIn profile. And we look forward to having you join us again right here on the Conquer Local podcast. My name is George Leith. I will see you when I see you. You've been listening to the Conquer Local podcast with your host, George Leith. Executive producers are Brendan King, Jeff Tomlin, and Danny Mario. Audio engineering, sound lounge by T-Bone. Marketing by Rory Lawford. Produced by Colleen McGrath.